You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The title of this message is Power of Confession. And uh, this is not the power to tell people about your sins. Uh, this is the, the power of confession as in proclamation. I remember recently we talked about the word, um, the word confidence and what the scripture actually means by confidence, bold speaking in the Greek, that it means to speak out loud and speak the truth by direction of God, by dependence upon God. And we saw the contrast between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance is the world's version, but it is the confidence in self. If we trust ourselves, we are arrogant. We believe in ourselves, we exalt ourselves, we're proud of ourselves, everything is for us, me, 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 that's arrogance. That's avarice, that's greed, and it's wrong. But confidence, we put our trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but not us. We trust in the Lord our God, so everything is in Him and in His power. And now this confession is related to that. It kind of came out of the fact that we need to speak things, and we covered this passage there, but we're going to break it down differently tonight. I want to start by reading the entirety of the passage that we will be later dissecting. Matthew 16, 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked, what do you say, or who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my, my, my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in this passage we see uh, a hugely pivotal moment in time in the relationship between God and man. This is the first time that man has spoken this fact clearly out from the disciples about who Jesus is. And that could not have been understood if it had not been from the Father revealing it to him, but this is salvation, this is the connection to eternity, and that's why the church is built upon it, because the church is exactly that. And this whole passage has some very important things in it, this exact moment that man's opinion was requested by Jesus as an indication of each person's spiritual orientation. So he's really testing the disciples here. He wants to see what they're made of. He wants to see how far have I gotten with them thus far. Have they gotten it yet? Because he knew who he was. And he couldn't really tell them who he was. He needed to wait for them to receive from the Father exactly who he was for it to be able to be the kind of revelation that brings salvation. Because we're saved by grace, that by faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. So God actually gives the ability to believe that. Uh, as an intercessor, you know, uh, dear sister visiting us tonight, that that's one of our most powerful prayer points in intercession is asking the Father to put that word of faith in the hearts of people. Plant the seeds. Let them be awakened. Like in our church that time I planted in Mexico where I prayed that prayer, Lord, shake them and make them know that they need you. And that began to happen supernaturally before I could even share the gospel with people. By just intercession, prayer, laying that groundwork of petition to the Lord for them, they started having dreams. They started experiencing things that later paved the way for me to easily be able to come with questions, find their hearts, and then bring them to a decision to accept Jesus. Now, there are many important things to consider in the verses that we're looking at. And in this message... I want us to discuss two things, the importance of opinion, and secondly, seven results of our confession of Christ. And it all comes from that one passage. Uh, we start off with the importance of opinion, and we see that Jesus is seeking opinion here in this passage, Matthew 16, 13. 
Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So understand that He's with the group of people that He's been training now for quite some time, a year and a half, and He is enjoying life with them, teaching the kingdom. They are enjoying learning, but how much have they really learned? So the first thing that Jesus begins to do with them is wants to know what the opinion is of man, of him. Not just them, but everyone. Who do people say? He starts with the general population. Jesus was testing the disciples to see how far they had grown in their understandings of who he was. So he started by asking them what the people, that is society, what are, what are they saying about me? So he wanted to start there because I believed he understood that the opinions of the people that surround us have a very powerful bearing or, or form of control over us. That we are often a product of our social opinion. That if we are born in a certain culture, born in a certain society, we will think like that society or that culture thinks. We will act like they act. We will believe what the opinion is of everyone else. But that's the thing about culture and about the opinion of humanity in any place, in any culture. They can only live by an opinion that is dictated by earthly means or by the conscience of man but not responding to God, sometimes responding to their own flesh, maybe responding to demon spirits, Satan himself. And society is made up right now on earth. We live in a society that is decaying right before our eyes. Each and every year that goes by, it's making a moral descent lower and lower and lower. By the way, it's been lower in other, in other um, eons past, in other decades, in other centuries on the, in the past, like the day of Paul when he went to the grid. They, they were even in a lower state. But don't worry, we're catching up these days, unfortunately. I see the, the world lowering. And so we live in these, these opinions surround us. I was talking to a young woman the other night at the restaurant and um, I was uh, speaking to her uh, about the food. She ordered the food and she suddenly asked me what I was doing. What brings you to Singapore? She said. So, well, actually, I'm a, a Christian pastor. I'm a church leader and I'm a missions director. We do works. We do these things that immediately the first thing out of her mouth was, well, we were referred here by, you know that couple? And he, she named two names and she said, the gay couple. And she stared at me. Because she wanted to see, she wanted to provoke my response. And but see, this is the society we're living in right now. Where people are looking and think they have a moral understanding, or lack thereof. And they, this is their opinion. So, in the day of Jesus, his disciples were living amongst the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the world, all these people. And there was an opinion out there, and Jesus wanted to know, what do people Things. So society is the realm in which we live and that affects our opinions and how it affects our opinions is extremely important. Jesus had a job when he came and that was to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He told parables about us being like the wheat and the tares. Uh, not separated, not you're not... Uh, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. He spoke all these analogies about the fact that he needed us to be sanctified or separated. And separated from what? Not just the conduct of people. Because it has more to do with the confession or the opinion of people. In fact, salvation does not even depend upon our conduct. Not, I mean, remotely it is affected by salvation. has a lot more to do with our confession from our, our opinion. So Jesus, in trying to remedy this issue with man, that's where he started. He wants to know what the world thinks according to his disciples' perspective. So what do they say about it? And this is exactly what we see in, in all things in society. We see the opinion of society in the 14th verse where it says, And they said, some say John the Baptist. And we know John the Baptist was a holy man. He was known for holiness. And everybody associated holy man, John the Baptist. Okay, Others, Elijah. We know that Elijah was associated with great power. But he was indeed a prophet. But still others, Jeremiah, another prophet, or one of the prophets. This is what people thought, the opinion about Jesus, which was moving in the right direction, but was not accurate. 
There are a lot of people that if you sit down with them, they will have great respect for the person of Jesus. You can talk to them about Jesus. They see him as an important historical figure. They've not yet crossed the line, at least not many of them, have crossed the line to outright curse Jesus. They still pay him respect when they're talking to us. There are some individuals who do not that blaspheme the name of Christ and just outright say that he is not real, he was false, or he was a liar, or he was a cheat, all these crazy things they say about him. But other people just respect him. Even other religions respect uh, even the, in Islam, the Quran says to honor uh, Isa al-Masih, and there's all these ideas, so there are different opinions, but that's not the, the opinion that's needed to transform the physical being of man, and therefore the soul and spirit of man. So here, the opinion of society is one thing. Opinion of others is not what should determine your status. But it's a choice that you have to take. So it was not until the disciples spoke for themselves that they reached the level of proper confession of Christ. Right now, they're just trying to think, well... Because at this point, no one has said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. It's not been spoken yet. I think they're suspecting it. They feel it inside, but it is not yet confessed. And that's why this moment was so crucial in the changing of the tide for them to step out, real sanctification to step out of the social thoughts because their peers thought these things. Even people in the crowds listening to Jesus teach. These are, this is the, Who are they hanging out in these days? Well, they're hanging out with the people that Jesus was teaching. But that was still society that Jesus came into. That's the people he felt compassion for because they were like sheep spread abroad, scattered with no shepherd. Meaning, if they had no shepherd, they had no teacher, they had no teacher, they had no knowledge. They had no knowledge, they don't know what to believe, and therefore do not know what to confess. How will they hear without a preacher? You know the progression in that passage. So they need to hear it, accept it, believe it, and then later it comes out of them. And Jesus was attempting to shift his disciples out of the state of control they were under. Because they were controlled by social understanding, by what the people were saying. But now they're starting to change their opinion in this first year and a half because they're seeing Jesus do things that no prophet has ever done, speak in a realm and in a manner that no one has ever spoken. He's greater than those things. They're knowing this, but and they're suspecting who he is. They're thinking, could he be the Messiah? But it has to be only by the Father that's revealing it to them. But Jesus is carefully, I love how tender Jesus is with them, Gave them, gave them so many opportunities to slowly come out of their former thinking. I mean, we Christians today, evangelists, whatever we call ourselves, we should really take note of the method of Jesus. Jesus was very tender, kind, gentle. And he took his time to spend moments with them. He went with the publicans and sinners. He spent. I don't think he was only preaching the kingdom with the publicans and sinners. I really don't. I don't think that's all Jesus ever did. I think he had conversations with them and spoke to them and was concerned about their lives, concerned about their feelings. How else could he know the state of man as he did so well? He came on a mission to learn it. He came to find out for himself as God invested in man. Of course, he grew up uh, as his own consciousness as a human being all the way up until he was baptized in water and the Spirit came upon him. And I believe at that moment the God consciousness of Spirit came upon the physical God that was, in fact, the one that left his divinity in heaven to be able to become a normal man. Uh, not, not the holy child syndrome of Jesus you know, running on water playing and raising dead birds from the grave. No, he, he was a normal child. But now I think that he's seen, learning, when he came under the Spirit, he went out into the wilderness, attempted, he came back and started his ministry, and I think it was a fact-finding mission all the way up into the ninth chapter of Matthew where he had the epiphany, saying that they're like sheep without a shepherd. Oh no, something has to be done about this. We just recently had that message. And I see now that he has this mentality. He's already commissioned them and told them, but they still have not come to the full confession of who he is. And this is the moment that they do it. But Jesus is careful. You know, we cannot expect people to overnight, instantly erase 20, 30, 40 years of upbringing. 
That's that's ludicrous to think that that we believe that if we just come to them with a gospel out of our our Christian mouths, that that one simple thing in that moment, they will instantly. Now I'm not saying it's not possible, but I know it didn't happen to me that way. And I know it probably didn't happen to you that way if you remember not being saved. But you had many opinions. I had many opinions before I came to Christ. And it took me years. I was very pensive, carefully considering different philosophies and things. I didn't even, I don't even know what I was before I met Christ. I kind of just, kind of left all the options open. I was probably more of an ecumenalist. In the sense that, well, you know, you do your own thing, whatever. You know, you, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it feels good to do it kind of a humanist in that sense of, okay, whatever. But when the Lord came to me, and actually from the time I was 12 to 17, was this moment where He was interjecting in my life, slowly drawing me out of the opinions of men, so that my opinion could then be birthed in eternity and come from heaven. Now, God was really giving me some insight today concerning exactly what took place in this scripture. So here he's trying to, and so many people allow themselves to be manipulated mentally, emotionally, and spiritually by the opinions, the doctrines of man. You know, Ephesians 2, 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, when I read the scripture today, I began to think, well, the spirit, small s, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I remembered the fact that we've often mentioned here the word pneuma for spirit is the same as the word breath. So breath and spirit are the same. You cannot speak words without breath. The air must pass across your lungs, So you have to exhale to speak words, to say Hallelujah. There has to be air coming out of you. And so God's word, his breath, that's what brought life to Adam. That's the Holy Spirit bringing life to the church. That's him breathing on us. We even sing songs, breathe on us. You know, we want God's breath. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he was demonstrating this very often, that an exhale of this would come out that he would breathe out. So in Ephesians where it says here, this, there are people who were living by the breath of Satan. So the people in the world, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, the disobedient people, they are only subject to the opinions of men. They can only yield to their society's opinion because they've not known the light, they've not crossed that line. So they're completely subject to one thing and one thing only. And that's what their neighbor tells them, what their friend tells them, what their social understanding is. They accept that. And right now we are in a place, I believe, that uh, social media is at this present time still an, an adequate conveyance of truth. I think we can use, I use social media for the proclamation of the gospel, for the word of God. I'm using it as much as I can. I'm enjoying this horse ride while the horse can be ridden. Amen? Because it's coming to an end. It's already beginning. I have friends of mine uh, in America that are noticing with increasing frequency posts being removed by Facebook. It's true. It's happening more and more and more. Now, what we all realize when we joined Facebook and we signed it, we signed a contract that gave them complete rights to do whatever they wanted to do with our information. You understand? All your intellectual property that you've been dumping into Facebook, every opinion, anything you ever say, Facebook owns that and can do whatever they want to do with it. So they can alter it, they can remove it. They may not falsify it and make you say something you didn't say because that would be subject or liable to lawsuit, but they can just erase it. And that's happening right now. People are giving opinions more and more. And Facebook, in the name of harmony and peace and social unity, and this is what their term, you can go read it in their own um, proclamations of what they believe, their, their ethics, that if it disturbs the social opinion, that if it is something that can cause controversy, they can remove it. Well, Jesus was the most controversial person that ever walked the earth. The gospel is controversy. It is it's upsetting. The social opinion that Jesus was trying to get his disciples to come into 
was so distinctly different than what everyone believed in that day. And that's why he came to his own and his own received him not, because his own belonged to a social structure that had an understanding that kept them under that breath, the spirit who is now at work and those who are uh, disobedient. You say, well, that's kind of crude to call the Pharisees uh, not God's people. Jesus did. Jesus said that their father was the devil. That's pretty harsh. And that only means that they were, whether it be albeit in ignorance, they were subject to the prince of the power of the air or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And it's interesting to note that that is very much what we see in Facebook today. Satan controls Facebook ultimately because he controls all media. There's no real, I mean, people can say, well, you know, there are some better forms of media. Maybe still online there are things allowed we can go find, but... As I say, enjoy the horse ride as long as you can because it eventually will wear out. Uh, in this country and free nations or semi-free nations, there's still a lot of liberty of opinion. But it's going to become more and more curtailed by social opinion. Um, and it's coming to an end eventually. Now, Jesus is here talking with his disciples. He wants to know the opinion of society. They've said John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets... Now we see private and personal opinion is what Jesus is seeking. It says, He said to them, But who do you say? First he said, Who do men say? What does society say? Because he wants to clarify that what society says is not necessarily true. And this was the, one of the biggest things what I had to do to learn about God's kingdom was to find out that all of these things that I believed my whole life were true turned out to not be true. And then, I, there was actually a time in my life when I believed the news. I mean, I was that ignorant. I mean, if you believe the news and you watch and you say, well, it's the news, of course. No, please, be very careful. There was a time that I thought, well, it's the news. But no. And I found this out because of involvement. I was on a scene of something where someone was being interviewed. And I was actually live there presently. It had to do with some things that we were doing in church in the United States in the 1980s. And there was a news guy that, that actually one of the people in our team was interviewed. And he spoke. And I was there for the whole conversation. And I thought, awesome. That's going to be great. And it makes it on the nightly news because, man, what you said is fantastic. By the time we saw it, they absolutely cut it to pieces and they just yeah. took sound bites and made him say something completely yeah. different. And he didn't even think much about the waiver that he signed. He didn't even really know it was a waiver that they could do what they want. But they did. And that's when I found out that that whole system is built on lies. That whole system, that's the prince of the power of the air. Speaking through media, speaking through news, through television. And Jesus is saying, come out of her, the whore of Babylon. Come out of that societal understanding. Come and see things differently. Look at things from an eternal perspective. Okay, they think that, but let me ask you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here, Jesus is actually forcing the individualistic and specific opinion of the ones who had been listening to his doctrines and his teachings all this time, he's pushing them to say, speak out of their heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in there, it will come out. Um, you will, it will slip out sometimes. Uh, you'll say things, I hear people say things all the time, they're like, oh no, what I meant was, no, you meant that. It just comes because your heart will your heart will give give you up. Your heart will it will be a traitor to you. It just comes out. And people, there are some people who know how to ask things the right way and make the heart speak. So here Jesus forces this opinion out of them because he's been talking to them and talking and planting seeds of the kingdom. And he knew that their eternal lives depended upon what was going to come out of their mouth. Because it does. And really, that's the simple dynamics of confession. We all know this passage as we go on. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we 
proclaim, that we speak, that we declare. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Very simple scripture. We all know it. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it's very simple. Right? We know that justification comes from believing just like our forefather Abraham did. He believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. That's all justified means is to make you right even though you're wrong. He justifies you. He makes you right. He straightens you out. And he does this simply based upon the fact that you believe. Because without faith it's impossible to please him. You must first believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But here you see, you believe and you're justified by that belief. But salvation on top of justification. Justification gets you in the right place. But salvation has to do with the end of all things. Has to do when this age passes away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the confession we make of His Word, His truth, is what will hold us. Uh, you've heard testimony of my friend that died of a drug overdose and found himself in Hades. And the Spirit of the Lord came and, and like a laser beam and found His Word inside of him and told him, while he was in hell, he told him, that's my Word inside of you. I'll give you one more chance. Wow. And he came back from the dead. He's a youth pastor right now in my home church. And uh, he's a great guy, but that's what happened to him. The word, the, the word has to do with eternity because you have the words of eternal truth. To whom else shall we go? His disciples figured all that along the way. They, they, it started making sense to them. But this pivotal moment is when this is taking place with them. And Jesus had to force them to that opinion. He had to work them till they got to the point because our declaration of belief is the catalyst for the power of God that saves. We have to believe it and confess it for the actual saving to take place. So we speak our own personal opinion of who we believe Jesus is out loud, remember confidence, out loud to man, and it is marked from heaven as a contractual agreement that causes our names to be written in the book of the Lamb. That's salvation. But it, we have to say it. We have to speak it on earth. Without it, there is, we can't be saved until we... We have to say it. We have to say it. In so many words, the thief on the cross figured out who that was hanging next to him, and he spoke the words. And it's so funny that he began to speak that his friend um, tried to tell him to stop and was mocking and making... Who could find the energy to mock in that moment hanging on the cross? But it was the devil trying to keep him from the confession he made. And as a result... He, called, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He identified him as the king of that kingdom, which in their understanding was the fact that he was indeed Messiah. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All depending on the words coming out of the mouth. And so we see the simple dynamics of confession when we speak. And this confession causes various things to happen. Now this is where I got my scalpel out and sliced up this passage into tiny pieces so that we could look at every element of it. And this next part is seven results of our confession of Christ. You know where the confession is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But now when he says that, uh, things happen. When he actually said it, a lot of things happen. In fact, seven things immediately happen just in these few verses. But there's, it's deeper than that. Because the, the ramifications of this statement could not be held in an earthly domain. It, it went beyond time and space. And these are the powerful, when we say, I remember, I remember the moment I said these words about Jesus at the age of 17. The power that was released was so strong by myself in my bedroom uh, laying on my dirty bed watching my tiny black and white TV where the man asked, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And when I did, when I said that prayer, I was, the power was so great, I was rendered unconscious. Wow. And the next thing I remember was the sun rising in the morning. And I woke up, smiling 
and my face was in pain because I smiled all night long. And the muscles, I had such a miserable life in my childhood, my muscles had atrophied. They were not used to smiling. And because of the joy of the Lord that came by this confession, I smiled all night. When I got up and looked at myself in the mirror in the morning to see why my face was hurting, I was smiling in a way I'd never seen. It was weird. I looked like some freak. I just like... I looked like a drug addict that had a really good high going on. And I knew that I had not taken any drugs. So I knew, wow, I saw the countenance, my own countenance transformed. Transformed. Because God has the ability to make a change so deep based upon this confession. So we're going to break it down now. Number one of the seven results is sanctification. It says, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you. Simon Barjona. So here, blessed are you. This word blessed is a loaded word. It's very important. And it actually is to, to sanctify, separate, and put in a place of blessing, meaning that it is called by God His own. This blessing is spoken only over Peter at this time. In fact, it doesn't say, blessed are all of you, my disciples. Why? Because they've not yet said anything. There's been no confession. And without the confession, without the words, there is no blessing. So his blessing comes, his sanctification comes from our confession. When we confess, the first result is his sanctification. So when we speak out loud that Jesus is the Son of the living God, we're separated into a different category than the rest of humanity. This is coming out of darkness. Yes. Uh, this is the sanctification of the application of the blood of the Lamb. This is Passover. Mm -hmm. This is when the blood comes over us. Yes. <laughs> From this moment, the angel of death passes over our dwellings. We, when we say it, yes. the first thing, the blessing, the sanctification. Yes. I believe that you are the Christ. Immediately, a torrent of blood pours over us and we are washed. The blood of Jesus yes. sanctifies us, separates us, yes. marks us permanently for God. Yes. Marks us. And this is what's it's such a it's such a powerful happening in fact that all of heaven rejoices. Luke 15, 10 says, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. One person who changes their mind about who Jesus is, gets it and says it. You understand what happens? It's, yeah. I mean, we miss it. Uh, we may get happy and say, oh, that's sweet, look, they received the Lord. No, it's so much more powerful. When they make the confession, when you make the confession, when anybody makes a confession, the confession, the echo of that confession shoots through eternity, sweeps over heaven. It, it stokes heaven Whoa. like a fire. And they rejoice. They rejoice. It says, all of heaven rejoices. That's everybody contained in heaven. Every soul that's there, every angel that's there, the seraphim, cherubim, everything in that moment, everybody high-fives one another and pulls out the symbols and starts cheering. Yes! That's one of the reasons why every instance I've ever heard of someone visiting heaven says it's very loud. Because think about it, at a given moment, people are making this confession all over the world. There are thousands, at any given moment, there are thousands of people coming to the knowledge of Christ and confessing Him. So as a result, the reverberating waves of the energy released at the moment of confession of blood, the blessing that is released, goes up and shoots through heaven. And they all cheer, they all rejoice, as do we here on earth, but we so easily can miss the whole thing. Because we are living in the sludge and the blackness of earth. But when the Spirit of the Lord enlightens us and opens our eyes, we see it. We value it. So beautiful to see people come into the knowledge of Christ. And all of heaven celebrates. Uh, they celebrate in eternity because the blessing that comes to us at confession is sent from the forces of heaven. So the blessing, the power is released. Simultaneously, I believe when that happens, then heaven's resources are poured upon us. Uh, if we think about the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lamb, the power and the energy of the blood that is the covenant of 
of the Lamb of God as He's seated now on His throne. It comes down from heaven on us. The blessing pours over us. You are then sanctified. Yes. And now we're just getting started. That's just the first, that's the beginning of these words that Jesus says. He says, blessed are you, Simon Borgia. You're blessed. You're blessed. Like I said again, and He didn't say that to everyone. This number two is connection. He starts to he starts to describe exactly layers of this blessing. Because you're blessed, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And you're blessed because the opinions of humanity had nothing to do with this. Yes. You understand what he's saying? Yes. That the social norms and everything the people of earth have told you, no one told you this. There's only one source. There's only one place that this could have come from. That's near. I get the moment that I saw this today that Jesus was so happy he was shaking when it happened. And I know we think stoic Jesus, blessed are thou, Simon Barjo. No, I think he was like, oh, man, you're blessed. You don't get it. Because flesh and blood can't put you didn't come from here. I think he was excited about it. Because it was the turning point where men begin to be saved. Where men, he's so excited about it. He's so excited. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, my Father who's in heaven, up to now I'm the only one that's been able to hear from Him. You're the first guy, Peter. You're the first guy. You got it. You understand how excited Jesus was? Because He's been alone all this time. He's talking to the Father. How do you pray? Okay, uh, our Father. He's trying to say, he's our Father. Okay, you need to connect with Him. But nobody was hearing from the Father until this moment. Why? Because of confession brings connection. And you cannot be connected until you confess. Not only does this work with God, it works with man. I cannot be connected to you if I don't confess you. If I believe in your life, I believe in your ministry, I have to confess you. I have to say, I've seen people, this is how the anointing works, because once again, this is the resources of eternity. And how I have channeled the anointing, how I have received God's spirit and power to flow through me, that I've taken from many different sources that all start in the river of life, but come through different channels, different vessels, some of the ones that I've loved and studied and followed, you know, Catherine Kuhlman. Um, I love um, Rodney Hyde Brown's teachings. That those anointings that are on these individuals, I've connected to that. That's why I don't say some evangelist. I don't say. So I heard a long time ago a good there was a preacher. No, I say the names. I say Catherine Kuhlman. I say Rodney Hyde Brown. I say the names Larry Stockstill, Jim Clark. Ken Dunbar. And when I confess them, my connection to them is open. And whatever anointing was on them is mine for the taking. Now, I'm saying that to lay some foundation about the further things that are coming beyond this even connection. Because first the blessing, now this connection, flesh and blood speaks of the earthly connection. The connection with the Father is spiritual and is impossible without Jesus as the mediator. So the Father puts the idea in the hearts and minds of man so that they can walk the path of confession of Christ to be able to make this connection. So really, this connection is our adoption. Uh, we're no longer orphans, but we are children of God. John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive Him, Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. John 12.36, Believe in the light while you have the light, and that was Jesus. So that you may become children of light. In Philippians 2.15, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That our, our separation, the connection with God, separation first, the, the blessings, and then this connection with the Lord, it all comes from us saying those words. Amen? Amen. Number three. Transformation. Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you, as if he hadn't already said enough, 
He, I mean, he, we could have stopped right there. That was enough. That's enough for me. I'm happy. But he says, I also, yeah, I want to say something else. That now, uh, you are Peter. By the way, he was never called Peter up to this point. His name was Simon. His name was Simon. You called him Simon. Hey, Simon, Simon. In fact, that's what he just called him. Simon Barjona. Simon, son of John. Just, you know, he's talking to him in that capacity. But now he says, I'll tell you what else, man. I'm going to call you something different. That's transformation. Wow. That the confession had such an effect on, on Simon that Jesus couldn't even see him as Simon anymore. You understand? He had to rename him something better. Man, you just stepped up to a whole other realm. So I'm going to transform you by even naming you other than what you are. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. He took ownership of Simon's life when Simon confessed him as Christ. When, when he spoke the words of his opinion, Jesus changed the way he saw him and called him something different. He, he, put, he put his individual expression, his idea about Simon, he put on him and says, you know what, I don't like that name anymore. You're Peter. You're Peter. When we really get close to someone, we give them a nickname. If you really get close to someone, you call them baby. I mean, that's get real close. Like boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, you honey, darling. That's the super intimate things. That's not their name. That's not their name. You know, but you will change it to that if you will. You know, if you have a friend of yours, his, his name is Ebenezer, and you know you're not comfortable calling him Ebenezer, so you, you may call him Ebby or something. You cut it short. Why? Because of affection and closeness, and you just want you want to identify with him in a personal way. So you change. It's exactly that kind of closeness that's coming here. This transformation, this change that Jesus, when he comes into our life by confession, he's going to fix things the way he wants them. He's going to arrange the furniture the way he wants it in his apartment. Yeah. And he's going to paint the walls the color he wants them to be painted. <laughs> if you've got a problem with that, well, then you have a problem with salvation. Because salvation <laughs> means ownership of you. Yeah. He'd call you whatever he wants to call you. First of all, understand, he calls you righteous. And you're not. But you are. Why? Because he said so. That's the power of Jesus. So that's what confession generated there in that sanctification. But now, in this realm of transformation, he's giving you a new identity, a new understanding. This meant that Peter was transformed by the process of confession. When we confess Christ, we're metamorphosed into a new identity. I know I became a new person when I confessed Christ. I don't even, can't even be compared to that other guy. And this will happen when we get to heaven also. Revelation 2.17 Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. See, that is so intimate. So intimate that he has a new special name for us. I wish I could know what is my name going to be in heaven. I can't know. I don't know. It's likely that I may not even be able to pronounce it within earthly realms. It might be a powerful name. It might be so powerful if I did speak it out and blow the walls off of this building or something. You don't know the kind of energy that we have in yeah, heaven. It can't be measured um, by earthly standards. Mm -hmm. Glorious we will be. It says we will be glorious. Yes. And that means full of glory powerful and he will use us to do powerful things so we can't be carrying our old names up there we're going to go up there looking for the patriarchs calling him by name oh yeah formally and he, you know he's going to come up with oh that's his earthly name yeah but his actually his name up here is oh, speaking everybody falls down whoa i don't know what my name is going to be i told you about my the pastor Pedro Vargas in Mexico, his wife, when she died, she went to heaven. And that's the, one of the things that struck her immediately was that she didn't know, she could not remember her name. She could not remember her earthly name. And that just that moment, she got on the operating table, went up to heaven. While she was there, she's like, what's my name? And I love that she said that because this is what the scripture says, that we'll be given a new name. You don't need, believe me, if it's, it stands the reason that if the tears will be wiped away. Oh, there's a lot of pain connected with my name. I don't want my name anymore. 
all the hurts and pains of my name. Yes, some good things have come out of it, but ultimately we, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I would like to have my entire passion race. How many of you like to have all the bad things done away with as far as the east is from the west? And so that includes my name. Brand me different. Call me something different. Change my name. I'd be so happy. And that's exactly what he's going to do. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Number four. Foundation. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now this is interesting that he says this fourth thing as a result of Peter's confession. Peter confessed, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, you are. He's going through all these things. And now look, because of this also, upon this rock. Now he's calling the confession, the whole process of reception of revelation and confession of saying, he's calling it the rock. Because it is the rock. It is the foundation. It's the solid base upon which everything rests in eternity. Uh, the earth will fade away, but the church is not going to fade away. The church is not. The church is going to be redeemed and taken from the earth. So, at the moment of belief and confession, it's put on the rock of revelation. When when spoken, when we speak this, uh, it becomes the firm foundation of our lives. The more we confess it, the more firmly we are planted upon the rock. The foundation of the church is that confession. So, our lives in Christ are inseparable from the church. Uh, we can never forsake the assembling of ourselves together, the Bible says. We have to be in the church. Never think that, well, I don't really need the church. Uh, me and Christ, we got this good thing going, and I just kind of... There's a lot of people out there that have that mentality, no, you need the body of Christ. You cannot survive without the body of Christ. There's no protection. There's no protection. I'm not saying it has to be one and only one church and you never deviate from that local group. I'm talking about the universal church, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been a missionary, moving around from country to country. I've been part of many churches, but they're all the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've planted different churches. It's still all the same. I just can't get away. I cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves. It has to be a group. I cannot go it on my own. I have to do everything in a collective and a group because that's the body of Christ. And that's the, the foundation upon which the church, the ecclesia, is built. And Peter's confession showed that, and that's why Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. And our lives in Christ are inseparable from the church. Number five, uh, protection. And, that's all these ends, and, 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 Upon this rock, I will build my church. Very, very powerful. So uh, we are um, in number five. Oh, that's the one I messed up. Yeah, go to the next one for me. I've given you authority. Look back up. Is this the, the error? I think we have an error here. Number five. I think one of them has a redundant number, right? Okay, it should number... Number four is foundation. Number five, protection... And the scripture should be here, a different scripture should be, and the gates of Hades yes. will not overpower. That's not on there, is it? Okay, sorry for there. So it's the part where it says, the gates of Hades will not overpower. And this is the protection that we're given. The first part is foundation. We already covered that. But this verse, just keep in mind of, of the 18th verse. Now we're granted amazing immunity and protection from all the forces of death and darkness when we confess our opinion that Jesus is the Son of God Most High. Now we know that Most High, El Elyon, is the supreme God and power of all and His power extends before and beyond death. So when it says that the gates of Hades will not overpower, it's talking about the rock and the church, your involvement. All of this is a benefit of your confession when you speak. Our association and confession with the Father through Jesus and our confession of Him causes us to come under the absolute protection of God. Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now those are absolutes. And so first ask yourself the question, 
who could speak in absolutes and who has the authority to do so. Well, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is telling you, the disciples, me, you, the disciples he had with him there, and we, the church today, that he's given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt us. And that's hard to believe sometimes. Well, certainly, something can hurt us. No, not according to Jesus. Nothing can hurt us. There may be problems in life. But he's talking about darkness. He's talking about the demons that actually know him as El Elyon, the Most High. By the way, any angels that ever mention God, they call him El Elyon because that's his heavenly name. Because he is the highest. In heaven, you get up there, there's a lot of spiritual, powerful beings. Yes. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to be there and look at half the angels just make you pass out just being in their presence because yes. they are in the holy presence of God. So there's one supreme above all, the Most High. Because they're all high, but the <laughs> Most High is His name. El Elyon, the highest one. And that is supreme God, that time I did that conference with the people who wanted me to teach on exorcism, the ghost hunters, I just used a variant of that name, El Elyon, to tell them about God. Because they had the mystical ideas of ghosts and all these things, and I use it as an inroad to preach the gospel to them. Because they were the ghost hunters, you know, ghostbusters. And they're out there doing their thing, risking themselves. I told them the story of the sons of Sceva. I warned them, you better be careful, you're playing with fire. Some of you think this is just a science, but there is some reality to this. And I, that night, I'll never forget, I scared the hell out of them. I mean, I told them stories about what the devil really is and what he does, his history. I gave them all of that historical information and they were amazed. And I referred to the Holy Spirit as the Supreme Spirit. Because it's exactly what he is, El Elyon, the highest one. The highest, most powerful spirit. And I said, if you're dealing with spirits, you better be in association with and be connected to the highest and most powerful spirit of all. So I laid that foundation. Then I revealed to them, actually, that spirit is the very spirit of, a, of what we call Jesus. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. By that name, you can have a relationship with the Most High God. Because the way to Him is only through His Son, Jesus, who is the one that came. And they listen carefully. People pray to, to receive Jesus. They, they believe. Some came with me after and said, that was really good, really amazing. Number six, authorization. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't want you to overthink what this is saying. If I said to you, um, I'm, my house is over at 8 Sin Ming Road. And I live in unit 0201. And I want you to go over there. Make yourself at home. Oh, look, here's the key. And I give you the key. What authority is that? Well, it's, it's not, not rocket science. You have yeah, a piece yeah. of metal that can open a door. Yeah. Where other people cannot get in through that door. You will not be able to go into that place. But if I give you the key, you can go into that place. Think of it this way. The confession, number six, is of authorization to enter what? The kingdom of heaven. When we confess him, he has a lot of copies of this key. When we confess him, he gives us the authority to enter the kingdom of heaven. Without that confession, we can't. It says there's no way to the Father. The Father's in, in heaven. So to get where the Father is and enter that place, of course, you need to go through Jesus. And by confessing Him, He then gives you this authority, this key. Jesus delegates those that confess Him. He gives them keys. This means that we are given access to the entry point of the kingdom of heaven. We can go in. We can come out. We can go in and out. We do whatever, whenever we want to. We have the key. I said, oh, can I go later on? You can go whenever you want, man. you got the key. If you have the key, you don't need me. You don't need anybody. And the key that he gives you is the confession, and it is his anointing on you. You have an unction from the Holy One. You don't need any man to teach or help you with anything. You have free access. Go, enjoy it. And I'm amazed at how many Christians simply don't use their key. They just leave it in their pocket. 
And and they want me, or they leave it at home, I guess. They want me to open the door for them. Never ever have somebody standing outside waiting and you go to the place and you, what, what are you waiting out here for? Oh I I didn't I don't have my key. I was waiting for you because you had the key. Well, dummy, why don't you just use your own key? I don't know why, but a lot of Christians in regard to this, they're not using that authority. So I'm just trying to empower believers all the time all around the world. Use your key. You have a key. Why are you standing out in the rain? Yeah. Why are you standing out here with the pack wolves gathering around, growling about to destroy you, when all you need to do is go right into the sanctuary of God? You have the key. You have the key. Yeah. When you confess Jesus, say, you are Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At that very moment, he's giving you a key. Okay, all right, that's enough. Here you go. Take the key. Come in any time you want to come in. And that's very important. Because at the same time, remember that He's recognizing you in heaven and He's writing your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, which means if it is considered like in modern technology a key card, well, it's registered to your name. And if you use that card to go in, they know who's coming in because immediately it lights up in the Book of Life. That, ding, oh, that's this person. They have a key. They're authorized to have that key because their names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. So this is our ability to enter into the most holy place of God. When we speak the name of Jesus and confess Him, the door of heaven responds to that key. Remember the passage we studied recently about the confidence or bold speaking in Hebrews 10.19? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. So here we see we have confidence to enter. And we started recently, that means bold speaking. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going into the... I'm going in. And I say it with confidence because I know it to be a fact. And that's worship leading. Yeah, it's music, but that's not really what's important. It's singing, yeah, but it's the confidence to Ooh. go into the Holy of Holies and show, uh, look, you might not be using your key, but I have a key, and I'm opening the door, so let's go in. And leading worship in such a way that people can go in with me. Oh, well, he's going in, he might as well go in with him. And that's good worship leading. And it can be done through preaching, and it can be done through worship. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the last one now, number seven, kingdom privilege. Matthew 16, and there's another end, which is what I caught today. He's like, and, 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 and. He's like, so many things popped out at me this morning when I read it, that there's a bunch of stuff here, and of course there were seven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, this is our association with God, and subsequent delegation and authority given through confession that gives us influence here on earth that causes our choices in life to be recognized by our Heavenly Father and backed up by Him from Heaven. Yes. The clout, the power, the prestige of our association through confession gives us power that we can wield in situations by declaration. We say it. We say it. We speak it. What we allow, God says, it's okay with me if it's okay with them. And we disallow. We say no. And God says, well, they said no, so no. That's what this means. I know sometimes we over-spiritualize this, um, is it the, again, the wrong scripture? God, I forget the, I'm sorry, that was my fault. I didn't, I didn't, um, Look carefully. I want to do it today. I have it as a template. I was using it. So, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So, the eternal authority and connection of our confession makes us powerful on earth to accomplish His works. That's the authority He gives to you. Now, binding and loosing, in fact, is allowing and disallowing. I a long time ago I learned to get away from the, the 1980s spiritual warfare mentality of this passage, think of it more practically. It's what we allow or we don't allow. So don't allow. If you allow the enemy to do whatever he wants to do in your life, then God really can't help you much. But if you say no by your confession and the power given to you, and you simply say no, 
have a bad dream, wake up scared in the middle of the night, all you have to do is say, get out of here. I will not allow you in my dreams and I will not allow you in my house. Yes. I've often been attacked by demons in the middle of the night. Yeah. Coming to me in dreams, showing up, apparitions. I've seen shadows surround me. I've had poltergeists in my bedroom, things moving around, drawers opening and closing. I've had freaky stuff because I've lived in some dark places on this planet where witchcraft is prevalent. I, I don't care. I just wake up and I don't allow it. I say, no, 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 no. And just, out. I have authority. Look, I'm tired. I'm going back to sleep. Just get out of here. They always, I've never not had them stop and leave. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of me having to take a vote. Yeah. Say, no, it will not do this. Now, the power, this is the truth that sets people free. Yes. Now, opinion, once again, this whole thing has been a process of opinion changing so that confession can transform us. The power of confession is a changing of mind and a declaration thereof. That I'm not thinking like I used to think. I once was under the prince of the power of there, but I'm not any longer. And whatever I allow or disallow, God's going to back it up. So all the power, wealth, prestige, authority, riches of heaven, all the resources of heaven are mine because I am adopted and I am his child. And for the sake of his purposes, even more, if I'm doing ministry work, church work, church planting, evangelism, intercession, prayer, if I'm doing the work of the kingdom, there is absolute power on my side. What I decide, it must be done. Even the demons, even the spirits are subject to me in your name, Jesus. And that's great. He says, look, don't rejoice so much about that. Rejoice more that your name is in heaven. It's written down. And, and that's exciting. So Jesus was excited. Very important that you see things. What did Jesus get excited about in life? That's what you need to be excited about. Yes. And when he said, it, rejoice that your name's written in, in heaven, it says he started, he rejoiced greatly, which is a bad translation of he jumped around wildly. <laughs> in Greek it says he just started jumping all around. He was so excited. He jumped all around. Uh, the Greek, uh, there's a, it, it denotes like a gazelle. Like, like a, and you ever see a gazelle? They will bound and leap. Jesus was leaping. And I've actually done that. And there are a couple of times I have under the anointing. <laughs> it was tra- crazy. We did a revival meeting in southern Mexico and I had Pastor Butch LeBeau with me. And he came over in the middle of worship. I mean, the power of God was so strong, so strong. And he come over to me. He says, God just showed me you in the spirit. And you're going to dance. I said, dance is crazy. <laughs> Hallelujah, I don't dance, I preach. <laughs> and he says, you're not only going to dance, you're going to leap. I saw you leap and look like you were flying. And I was yeah. like, that's just, you're just going to Man, I preached at the end. We got to a point of the altar call and a celebration. Something hit me that yeah. I, I have never felt. I, I just, I, my body started moving I literally just began to leap. I have never leapt. I was leaping higher than Michael Jordan. I was. <laughs> a friend of mine was with, with me, Rusty Altazan. He, his mouth was hanging open, watching me. He told me later. He says, "Dude, you were flying. You were like, you were flying. Like your feet were going as high as your head." I said, "That's an exaggeration." Now we didn't have video equipment. I wish yes. we had. Yes. It was before we all had these handphones with the with the cameras on. But I knew. I know because I saw the ground going on. I thought I was going to fly away. I was so excited. So I know that there's an anointing to do that. I don't often come under it. But I do rejoice greatly. Why? These are the things that makes Jesus excited. That they confess Him. They speak about Him. That in Jesus' name. That when we use the power of the name, uh, our connection to heaven is established. The eternal authority and connection of our confession makes us powerful on earth to accomplish his works. These are the things that we saw. The, the power of confession. We saw the importance of opinion. Jesus is seeking opinion. He wants to know. He wants to know. First of all, he needs to know what you know so that he can teach you what he knows so that you can know the truth and be set free. So he asks questions first. What does society think? What do the people think? And that's what he did in that passage. 
the opinion of society. Private and personal opinion is what Jesus is. Then he says to him, all right, what do you say? What do you say, Simon? Still calling him Simon. And at that moment, he said it, and the simple dynamics of confession came online. He said, you are the Christ. You are Messiah, son of the living God. Whereby Jesus said, yes! So excited. And the results were sanctification, connection, transformation, foundation, firm foundation. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can take you off of the rock that is higher than you, to which he's put you, your feet on solid ground, all because you confess him. Your protection is complete. Not even the power of death can touch. The gates of Hades cannot even come close to you because of this protection. Authorization, he's authorized you to enter the Holy of Holies anytime you want. The key is in your hand. And then kingdom privilege. Yep. Whatever the king's children want, the king will grant it. If you need to do a thing, fine, do that. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, Dad, can I use the credit card? Go right ahead. Use the credit card. No problem. What's the limit? There's no limit. You do whatever you need to do, son, daughter. Come on, dear. Just go ahead. Just do. As long as you're doing king, are you doing king stuff? Yeah, I'm doing only kings that won't go right in. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Recently, I made a declaration. I said online, I said, look, I, I just need to go out there and teach the nations. I want to get out, start doing, um, I, and I just made a few posts, and man, people have been throwing money at me. Why? Because it's his kingdom. It's only his kingdom. As soon as I said, I just want to teach nations. I want to go teach nations from everywhere. People are saying, okay. Uh, here, do this, do that. Immediately today, I'm already buying tickets, already setting up these trips. I want to go to all those nations within 2018. I want to make it to all those nations I listed. And um, we're moving into some great things. I have this great concept of mentor missions, a whole new kind of missions work that, that Valerie is very excited about too, that we are going to be hands-on, on the ground, consistently, every month, projects that are coming in. So I'm very excited about that. You just just hang on. You'll see as it comes about. And it will be, uh, this is what I found out, that the super highway that I saw many years ago is a real thing. And that the way that you know a highway is a highway is because there are cars coming and going at all times. You know the PIE is the PIE because there's always traffic on it. Yeah. Going in both directions. They're going east and west. They're moving constantly, flowing and the mentor missions I want to get into causes us that we're not going to be able to sit still. We're going to be constantly in and out of nations, constantly, each month in that base, touching it, manning it, working with it, constantly. Our missionaries will be there, but they will never be lonely. They will never be alone because we're going to be there with them. They're going to get tired of us always showing up at every time they turn around. Because one of the most difficult things for missionaries are their loneliness. Yeah. You Sometimes you're out there on the mission field and you're just... No, it seems like nobody cares. I mean, you should work out your own salvation with your church. I get that, but we're going to do things differently. I am apostolically going to be continuously present. And I think that format will be the rest of my life. Uh, we will have to do it in team because as churches, we do new projects, new things, plant new churches. We're going to have to be a lot of us in different places. Amen? But we confess Christ, so we have these things. We have sanctification, connection, transformation, foundation, protection, authorization, and kingdom privilege. So let's walk in the clout and power and prestige of our Father and do the work of the kingdom. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.